Welcome to Home and Identity, a podcast examining the meaning of these words in the lives of immigrants and expats. I am your host and producer of this podcast, Sarah Tori. My guest Zhu was born and raised in Brazil and has been living abroad for over seven years. We talked about what home means to us and how the feeling of longing for this home is expressed in our languages. And finally, Zhu described her identity through these experiences of living outside of Brazil in the past several years. I hope you enjoy it. Hi, Zhu. How are you? So good to see you. Thanks for being here. Uh, hey, how are you? Long time no see or talk, actually. I know, I know. It's been, what, a couple of years, I think. We're going to talk a lot about uh, some of your personal experiences. So thank you for being here and sharing those with uh, everybody. Uh, can you start by introducing yourself? My name is Julia Faria. I am 33. Uh, I am a Brazilian who's living in Germany, by the way, of Ohio. Like I lived in Ohio for a little bit and then we came here. <laughs> I was going to say you had a stop in between. Right? Yeah, we just like did a stopover. A couple of years, I think, right? It was How long was yeah, it? Yeah, it was three and a half. And now we're we're here for three years already also, so... And uh, that's where you and I actually met. When we lived in Hamburg, there was this bicycle shop that uh, we used to go to every so often and met you and your husband there. I was like, somebody speaking English. <laughs> English with an American accent must find the <laughs> go up. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so we started talking and then realized that, yes, you were in the, in the States. And I think at that point, both of us were pretty new to Hamburg as well. I think it was just a few months after. The thing that happened that made me like start, start talking to you guys, that your kid was looking at me with the most expressive eyes I have ever seen a child have in their face. And then I was just like mesmerized and he was smiling at me and I was just like, hi. And then you guys started speaking English and I was just like, yay, English. Let's just take a pause to appreciate the fact that when we met each other, it was literally a month before like the world went into pandemic mode yeah yeah it was i remember because it was the day that i actually bought my bike it was february 2nd 2020 oh yeah oh yeah yeah so that's right because we we did come in a few months before that and i think you guys around the same time so we did experience germany pre-covid for just a few months we did we did get christmas turned upside down we We did yeah yes we did do the Christmas market, which, you know, looking back, um, it was so interesting because I remember going to, I was literally Christmas market hopping. I was taking the kids to every little Weihnachtsmarkt I could find. And we were just literally going from one to another and taking the bus or taking the train and just kind of hopping and going. And I wasn't working at the time. So that's kind of what I was doing all day long. <laughs> Yeah, in my case, we were like, you know, we had just come out of being students, so we weren't like flush with money. Not that anyone is when they're changing countries, but like we were just so, I was also like kind of still very like anxious about being around speaking German all the time. Yeah, yeah. So we went to like one Christmas market and then the next year we could, uh, thinking like, okay, we're going to go to more next year. We're going to be more comfortable. Of course, yeah. And of course, and then the world had a different plan for us, right? Of course, yeah. So, and you're right, because I remember at the time, we were looking at one of the Christmas marks very close to where we used to live in Altona. 
um, with another expat family who also had moved to Hamburg around the same time from the States. And um, something as simple and small as like a pair of gloves. Or I remember seeing these little wooden toys that I really wanted to get for the kids, but on the same boat as you were not really wanting to spend money because you're new, you don't know what to expect and all that stuff. So I want to be frugal. And I kept thinking, well, we'll just get it next year. We'll just get it next year. Uh, and next year didn't happen. I know. And it was so sad. So let's go back to Brazil, if, uh, if that's okay. Tell me a little bit about your uh, childhood, if you'd like to share kind of which area of Brazil you're from. So I'm actually lucky that, you know, for most people, I get to say I'm from nearby a place that they actually heard of, because I know a lot of people that they say I'm from nearby somewhere and they're like, never heard of it. Right. <laughs> so I'm from so where are you nearby? <laughs> Sao Paulo. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I'm assuming most people know that. Very yeah, good. And it's really funny because like, I don't have a lot of like very interesting anecdotes. Like people from abroad either think we live at the beach or at the jungle. There's no in between. And, there's there's no in between. And, uh, and and also because Brazil is such a small country, isn't it? <laughs> so okay, like, like, I love the oh I'm from Brazil. Oh, do you know so and so? And I'm like, no. <laughs> so as I said, I don't have like many very funny anecdotes about Brazil or my childhood. I grew up in a big family. Mm -hmm. Um, so you want to hear anecdotes about like, you know, fighting because the water of the shower is cold. I have plenty of those, but you know, I just had a normal childhood. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I hate saying normal, but like very uneventful. I love playing Barbies. That's what I like to do. Oh, that's fantastic. We were sharing stories on Barbies actually the other day with a neighbor and I told her, I said, we didn't have Barbies when, when I was growing up and I got three Barbies. Um, can't remember who went to what country outside of Iran and got me three Barbies and brought mm -hmm. them home. And those were my biggest like valuable Uh, prize toys that I had and then we had a relative of ours come to visit with with their kids and uh, one of their daughters got into trouble with the parents and uh, she was sent to my bedroom out of all places in our house to have a timeout and um, she found the Barbie she was very upset so she found the Barbie first of all she ripped off all of the stickers that I had on my um, closet door that was the only place I was allowed to put stickers on and mm -hmm. My brother and I had picked and chose very carefully these stickers and put them on the, on, so she ripped all of them. And then she found the Barbies and ripped the heads of all of my Barbies. <laughs> my God, that's like, that's not how I expected this, this to go. I thought like, oh, she's in a timeout. She found the Barbies and she was playing with the Barbies. She deserved the timeout, okay? Yeah, that was something else. So boring, normal, wonderful childhood. Yes. And then you somehow decided to leave. So what got you thinking about leaving? I really always wanted to live abroad. And I found a partner who always also wanted to live abroad. And he actually got uh, invited to by his, his advisor um, that was in Brazil on, for his master's was moving to the US for to teach uh, to teach at an university in Ohio. So he got invited to like apply for it and try for it. And then he kind of was like, hey, you know, want to come with? And I found a university there that was very interesting. I was just finishing, finishing my bachelor's. Uh, but this was like way ahead of time. Like this was, I was 26 years old already when I moved. Mm -hmm. I took a really long time doing my bachelor's part. I couldn't decide. Yeah. 
Um, and then I moved to the US. And then things got interesting. I I mean, clearly I speak like pretty like fluent English. Yeah. And I did that in Brazil as well. Okay. My friends all went to an American school and I didn't go, but we would switch between Portuguese and English all the time. Right. And I got to the US and of course it's like, okay, yeah, I speak English every day. It's gonna be fine. Yeah. I couldn't then... speak back I switched back to Portuguese. I wasn't allowed to do this because people wouldn't understand it. Sometimes I did by accident and they didn't understand. Right, right. <laughs> um and then that's when you start realizing how your country, how what you are is perceived from abroad. Not that I hadn't traveled before, mm -hmm. but it was more blatant in the US. Right. So I have got I got asked if we had bubble gum in Brazil. Okay. It was mostly like uh the person was having gum and I was like, Can I have one? And they were like, sure, do you have those in Brazil? And I'm like, <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and then like And then it's really funny because I have also heard, like, do you have buildings in Brazil? Like the oh, yeah. ones that stack on top of each other. Uh -huh. And I'm like, I'm from a city of two million people. I love, I, love, I love your explanation of the ones that stack on top of each other. <laughs> and the thing is, like, you get asked a bunch of this kind of stuff. Like, I got asked if people spoke English in Brazil. And I was just like, I mean... Some of them do. Like anywhere else. Some do, some yeah. don't. Yeah. So like there are all these questions, but at the same time, here I am trying to explain, I do not live in a jungle. Right. The city I grew up in, there are two million people in it. The city right next to it has 22 million people <laughs> living there. It's just like huge. Yes. Objectively huge. And then I have to explain that we have monkeys on the street. Oh my God. And they're the equivalent to Brazil as to squirrels are in the US. Right. But now you just made it so complicated for the people in the US because now they want to know what kind of monkeys, how big, do you keep them as pets? I'm sure you have this like series of follow-up questions that come up with that. With the no, monkey you usually don't. That's the thing. What happens is people ask, like, have you ever seen a monkey? Like, and then you go, Yes, I've seen the monkey. Like they're the equivalent to squirrels to us, but they're really tiny monkeys. I've seen mm -hmm. the bigger ones, but like very rarely in nature. You have to go away from where I'm from to go into nature. Yeah, yeah. but at the same time, nature finds you. Like on my friend's gated community, mm -hmm. like where her family lives. Yeah, there was a jaguar the other day. So it's like weird to explain. Okay, like. We're far away from from the, the the nature, but nature finds us. But you have these similar things here in the States too. So the funny thing that you mentioned about squirrels, I had never seen a squirrel in my life until I moved to the States. And I thought this was like the most fascinating little animal ever. And I have I have a colleague who, who has squirrels in his attic and he's always like cursing at the squirrels and it just makes me laugh. So I'm like, but they're so fluffy and cute. He's like, they're devil animals. But anyways, you know, the, the, the perception is really different. Like in Tehran, we had cats. There were just stray cats all over the place. And mm -hmm. that was the animal we had there. When I went to um, undergrad in Southern California, in our dorms, we actually had uh, signs that said, beware of uh, mountain lions. And we apparently had mountain lions coming into the campus. Right. So you, you have these things here as well. It's not like 
unheard of. No, I did some, some deer, but like, that was already pretty cool. Right. But exactly. like the jaguar thing in Brazil is super rare where I'm from. Mm-hmm. Of course, if you're like more in backcountry, you're going to find more. It's kind of like bears in the US also. Right. Like, So it happens. So these kinds of uh, questions, of course, come from uh, curiosity a lot of times, uh, not knowing mm-hmm. what it's like in another country, which um, can can be done in two ways one can be done with like oh i'm really curious and i want to learn about your country another one can be also condescending so you have to kind of uh, be prepared to go either direction yeah so that was the thing like i i really enjoyed my time in the u.s i had a lot of fun i made great friends friends for life um but it is this kind of like look of being the outsider Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, that started to like I started to notice it existing. Yeah. I I grew up in privilege. So I had never been othered in my life. Right. Yeah. And was it, uh, did you notice that more in um, sort of more secluded rural areas or did you experience that in bigger cities as well? So I didn't get out of Ohio much. Right. Uh, and I was also in Columbus, which is more of a blue city in the red state. Uh, my husband would go like riding his bike with his, with our friends a lot. And he said that he felt some more, but you know, what's actually the funniest thing. Um, the feeling that you're othered exists a lot, but there's also a feeling of people who are like, kind of adopt you and just see in you like, okay, you're a foreigner and I'm a foreigner. So we are kin, you form a kinship with the person. Yeah. So, uh, we were, we're atheists, Mm -hmm. but we were raised Catholic. Uh, and we used to live, the first apartment we lived in Ohio was right across from a mosque. And this is actually really funny. We had like zero contact with, uh, like anything Mm -hmm. from this religion. So we're kind of like, just trying to be very respectful, but not knowing anything about it. Sure. And uh, my husband, by sheer genetic lottery, kind of looks Middle Eastern. People would think that he was from the the mosque. Yeah. And then he would like go out to take the trash and people were going like, Salam Aleikum. And he wasn't sure. He knew what he had to answer, but he didn't know knew if the meaning was something that he couldn't say not being Muslim. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So he would just go, Hi. <laughs> And the person will look at him like, Salam Aleikum. Right. Why, why are you not responding properly? Right. And then like the third high, the person would realize he was not from the mosque and then just change it up. But by the end, he was just like, Aleikum Salam. <laughs> he got it down. And, <laughs> Done. Yeah. And then like, there's also this brilliant time that there was the a food truck mm-hmm. and I went out with like a house dress to buy it. And... Like he keep he tells me that like all of the boys are sitting behind us and they're like actively avoiding looking at me. Right. And there were a bunch of girls. They were just like looking behind me and going like, oh my God, she's wearing a dress. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, uh, this, these are funny anecdotes. But the coolest thing about that community was how they embraced us and we felt so safe being there all the time. Yeah. So it was like having like neighborhood watch all the time. Uh, this is something that is not very common when you're a little bit more outside of the central areas in the U.S., which was a huge surprise for me, which there's not a lot of public lights. And we were pedestrians. We didn't have a car. 
So we always felt very safe because because of the mosque, they installed a bunch of lights and there were always on the street. There were always kids playing. We felt so safe being there. And then we moved away. We went to live somewhere else. But this is also very interesting because where, where I, the place where I worked happened to have a, a lot of black people working there. Yeah. And they yeah. felt immediately, immediately a kinship with me because I was Latina. And then I, it was really funny today that I showed a picture of my dad, the whitest man on earth. <laughs> <laughs> and then my friend just looks at me and he goes, is he just very light? <laughs> and I'm like, no, no he i'm white <laughs> and then that come out as white to my friends and explain that so i am very flattered that you know considering all the shit that i heard you guys talk about white people i'm very flattered you don't think i'm a white person but <laughs> I, I grew up white and in privilege so all mm. of the kinship you're feeling towards me I have no claim over because I never felt any of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's so interesting that you say that on, on several of the notes. I have similar stories. One of them, um, most of the times uh, in Hamburg, especially, but some parts of uh, the U.S. also, uh, a lot of times people think that I'm my kid's nanny because they <laughs> think that, oh, uh, these two little white boys um, and walking with some you know darker feature woman must must be so and the funny thing that you mentioned also about being light in in brazil you you were very light i was the same in iran i was very light compared to um some of my relatives and friends and so on and my dad when he was younger he was totally a ginger ginger it's coming from iran a lot of iranians don't think i'm iranian but coming from outside they they can't exactly place where I am coming from, mm-hmm. but they're kind of like build this kind of connection with you. And they have this sort of empathy towards you because they feel like you're an outsider, sort of like yeah. they are, uh, which sometimes is cool. But sometimes I also feel bad because I'm like, well, I I, I don't uh, have the same experiences as you've had. I have other experiences, but, but we can. Yeah, what I think it's the super interesting part there is the, other new to embrace you like it's a weird thing it's like the person is putting you as an outlier mm-hmm. because then they relate more to you yeah. and I think there's something very sad and very beautiful about that mm-hmm. and also I just have to say that whoever thought you were than any of your kids is like has they looked at the face of your <laughs> your youngest child it is like the the expressive child is the spitting <laughs> image of you <laughs> but thank you now let's kind of fast forward and uh actually uh there is something that I just wanted to mention while still living in the US. Mm-hmm. Um is that I went there to get my master's degree in fine arts. Right. And you know, as a person who uses art to express herself in some ways, mm-hmm. um I actually did something that is something that I'm still very proud of, which was noticing this othering, this feeling of being being other. Mm-hmm. And I actually did my master's thesis about that. We had a conversation on this and you, you wrote a paper on this as well. I have. So in Brazil, we have a word for the feeling that you have when you miss something or someone or a situation. And it's like, so this is the name for the feeling. I miss you is an action. Mm-hmm. And saudade is the feeling. It's one of those untranslatable words. Yeah. 
But growing up, we would say that saudade is sentir falta, which is also a verb, mm -hmm. uh, which translates to feeling the absence. Mm. And then, like, it took me literally 27 years of my life to trend to actually like look at those words and realize how deep it went. Because it's not, it's not like just like missing. Missing is something. But like when you feel an absence, an absence is so heavy. Yeah. And I remember being a little kid and saying this and clearly missing the point. So I remember that um, living in the U.S. was the first moment I actually understood what this absence felt. Even though I was very integrated in the community, I had great friends, I had an awesome support system. It felt a lot like I finally understood what it felt like to, not that I wanted to know what it felt like, but what it felt to feel the absence. And that was the absence of my sense of belonging. And that's an important one. And it's, uh, I'm so, so glad that you're talking about language because uh, that's one of my all-time favorite things to talk about, differences in languages and how uh, we express ourselves through words that we use. but. A lot of times, especially if you know more than one language, a lot of times uh, some words are not um, expressed in the other language, especially if it's not your mother tongue. It's harder to sort of connect with with those. And I'm glad that you you're talking about the phrase, I miss you, because when I first came to the States and I heard this phrase, I miss you. If you translate it word for word in Farsi, it, it's like. I've lost you right? oh, wow. as an object. I lost the object. It's not like I've lost you as, as a human being or your life is lost or anything like that, but it's more like a physical object being lost. Mm -hmm. you, you, you misplaced it. You don't know where it is. Um, so to me, that phrase didn't make sense whatsoever. The phrase that you say in Farsi is Delam tang shode, which means if I want to translate it word for word, it's more like, my heart has tightened up for you. It doesn't make sense, but it has that heart in it. It's, it's that emotion. Mm -hmm. What you were talking about is the feeling. Um, whereas mm -hmm. I miss you, it's more of a sense of loss, but also kind of like you're, you're playing on, on the verb here a little bit. Um, so that was really hard for me to also connect with and, and understand and really feel like, Oh, if I'm saying I missed you to a friend, I'm translating in my head to Delam Tangshudebarat, but it's a different feeling altogether because those two phrases have entirely different meanings and feelings for me in my heart. I completely agree. Even with just um, saying I love you, mm -hmm. I for yes. me it's very easy for saying I love in saying I love you in English is almost saying like oh I dig you you're a cool you're you cool it keeps doesn't quite so do like, it for you right well I mean I, I I mean it a lot like but I I can say it to friends and not feel awkward about it yeah um so like this was actually something really funny because I spoke English and Portuguese and I switch back all the time mm -hmm. when I still live in Brazil. Me and my husband uh, do that a lot as well. Right. And now even more, like sometimes we have to remember to speak Portuguese because he works in English all day and we forget. It, English is 
objectively a, a, a simpler language also. So sometimes right. it's just it's just easier. easier. Yeah. Um, and I remember that I when I was like, I had told him I loved him in Portuguese already, mm-hmm. but it still felt very loaded. We were very young also. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then like I remember that I would like play around it with saying it in English. Mm-hmm. Because then it felt lighter. And in German, it still means nothing to me. Right. I mean, ich liebe dich. It's I love you, basically. It, it may actually... Yeah, and you know, the funny thing is that, though, it may mean something different to a German, right? You, you may talk to a native speaker and they say, oh, it's a, it's a very deep, heavy feeling for me as well. Um, but again, it kind of goes back to uh, when, when they say English as your second language. It I feel that a lot of times it is the second language because... The kind of language that you grow up with a lot of time comes with a lot of um, other things attached to it. Feelings, experiences. Uh, for me, sometimes smells, tastes. I mean, the, yeah. the words that you learn and you use in specific occasions have mm-hmm. memories attached to them and have meanings attached to them. The absolutely phrase, I love you, that you mentioned as an example well, in Farsi, when I lived in Iran for the first 18 years of my life, I never used it in Farsi because you say, which translates into I like you. But it's a little mm-hmm. deeper than I like you. So it sort of sits halfway between I like you and I love you. Um, but mm-hmm. I love you is, I hear it more and more nowadays from, for instance, my cousins. We always tell each other, I love you. We just say, which means I love you. Mm-hmm. Um, but in more of a playful, friendly version as opposed to a romantic love. You know what I mean? So it's. Yeah, and this is, this is funny about German uh, because if you only say ich liebe dich mm-hmm. for someone who you're romantically involved in, if you're going to say it to a friend, you're going to say, Ich, lab, ich hab lieb von dich. Mm-hmm. So I have love, love for, for you. you. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's, so it's a it different is, phrasing. They do have, yeah, they do have a different meaning also. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, since we're speaking about languages, and I think that's <laughs> like something that we both really enjoy doing. Yeah. Uh, during Corona, which was the point when I was storing, starting to learn German, mm-hmm. uh, I learned about the word for home. In German, mm-hmm. yep. which is Zuhaus. Zuhaus. Which yep. essentially, essentially means in-house. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was something very interesting because like, there were all these things like, Bleib Zuhaus, stay home. And in Portuguese, the word that they use, because we have the word for home, which is lar. Mm-hmm. The word for house is casa. Okay. And they just said, fica in casa, stay at the house. Mm-hmm. The physical building location. Right. Exactly. So in Portuguese, we don't have a stay home mm-hmm. as in like your space. You have a stay at the, the building, mm-hmm. be it the one that stacks or not. Yeah. <laughs> That's the best. <laughs> and the thing is, um, then like home becomes much more of um, a is not a word that people use a lot, mm-hmm. but it almost is more like a feeling. This is, you know, from my own interpretation and also living away from there. Yeah. So like when you say 
you have home sweet home that is lar docilar mm-hmm. but like the the lar like the home is much more of like the feeling that you get from a place than an actual specific place yeah beautiful transition by the way to our topic of home <laughs> thank you it make my life so much easier i have um a sort of a reverse experience with that coming from farsi for instance um so in farsi the word for house or home is the same khane or uh, more day-to-day language we say khune we don't have a phrase uh, such as home sweet home we don't have that when we talk about home in a sense that a, a bigger home maybe um where you come from or where you feel your home is maybe it's the country maybe it's a geographical space maybe it's none of the above a word that a lot of Iranians use especially these days with everything that's uh, going on um and you hear is vatan and vatan is not even country because country is kishvar vatan is more like land you say the same in mm-hmm. in in german to land i remember um i had such a difficult time understanding the the zuhause in in german mm-hmm. and i had this like discussions with my husband on and off and it's like what what is zuhause because zuhause to me was like to home right and it just didn't mm-hmm. make sense it felt, it felt like connection it, exactly it's like am i moving from location a to b B and that's when I use Sohausa and he was like no Sohausa is just home and it's uh, but why <laughs> yeah it's like I always have the why question in my head but, but why do they not just say house uh and well because that's house but that's not home so it took me mm-hmm. a while to get used to that and then there was a building uh it was stackable uh behind our apartment building <laughs> it was a really old building right across the street from um the the church my kids went to daycare um at and uh the words heim were um put on top of the the uh, entrance door of uh, this building and i asked my um german friend i said why heim and she said well that's mm-hmm. an older way of using home uh, that's sort of like the um olden days german so to speak mm-hmm. uh, but it also means home um and i can't remember exactly what it said um on on the door but it said something along the lines of my pride my home uh, that it was sort of translating it to and so mm-hmm. it was much more of that uh, deeper connected feeling that you have with what one would uh communicate as as home as a place that you belong as a place that you have roots and you're proud of it maybe and that was very interesting to kind of play on those words a little bit and i you know tying back to saying i miss you mm-hmm. uh and just saying like a uh, land heim heimat is your the place where you're born like mm-hmm. your home your home country right your homeland uh so yeah translate literally and yeah. As I was saying, there's this word that is supposedly untranslatable in Portuguese, which is uh, saudade. Uh, the equivalent to that word, word in German would be heimweh, mm-hmm. which is the pain for home. Yeah. When we're talking about home in living abroad, mm-hmm. it is so complicated to, after a while, it gets so complicated to understand where is that pain for I could it be 
It could be for like my Brazil and seeing my friends and seeing my family and just like the deep pain that it is to be away mm -hmm. and miss great things and horrible things that happen there. Like I have lost both my grandparents while I was here in Germany. Yeah. And I also had like friends have babies and I wasn't there. Yeah. So there's the pain of being away from there. But then like people ask me, like I need, may need to have a surgery. It's nothing complicated. Well, a lot of people are just going like, why don't you have the surgery in Brazil? And I was like, am I going to leave my husband for two months? Right. You can't. Because he's part like, of home. Yes, exactly. And more and more, this is kind of like my closing argument, but I can put it there now and we can discuss it also. Yeah. Um, more and more, I've been realizing that home for me is a little bit of every people that I love and I connect with. Mm -hmm. What makes home for me is having a community, is having people around me that I trust and that have my house key and get to come in, you know, locking in and saying like, everyone dressed or just coming in and watering my plants or just knowing me or just having the support, being support system, being the person that I'm going to go out to have a drink. Mm -hmm. This for me is home more and more. Yeah. And I'm glad that you mentioned that because for years after I had moved to the States, this question of where is home was always bothering me. Well, obviously it's still bothering me. That's why I'm talking about it. But um, it's an evolving thing because based on the experiences that you go through in life, that definition evolves and becomes fuller and becomes more... Um, of something, and this is what I'm realizing in myself, uh, just as you explained, it becomes more of a, a connection that you have with your loved ones, with your community, with um, the people. It becomes more about the people than the physical location of where your house is, where you just put in the key and you go in. That's also important because that's also part of what you're defining as home because mm -hmm. it's a place where you... Um, I can't remember what it was the song that I heard and it said, uh, home is a place where I have my most familiar sounds. And oh, that's beautiful. That's that uh, touched me so much because when I come home and, and I work from home, so I'm home all the time. Um, <laughs> I should rather say when my kids come home from school and, when I hear their voices coming in, even if it's screaming and yelling at each other, it doesn't matter. But to me, it's a fulfilling feeling. It feels like, oh, we're home. We're here. Um, when I see my parents, when I can visit and they come over, or I, I hear them coming from, you know, across the house or whatever, it brings warmth to, to my life. It's, it's a feeling and it's, to me, it, it's a definition of home. I, you know, I, I have connected a lot about home to smells. Yeah. Smells, especially like uh, whenever I go to visit my parents' house, my, my laundry comes all folded and clean yeah. inside my bag. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, um, and when I open my bag, there's always like this whiff of the smell of my parents' house. Yeah. Which is really funny because I don't know if you ever heard this concept that if you live in a place, like you cannot smell your own smell. That's the idea. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
So I always couldn't know. My friend, my cousin would always say, like, I know when something comes from your mom's house because it always smells like your mom. Mm -hmm. And I would say the same thing about her mom. Yeah. Like, whenever something would come from my aunt's house, and she's like, this was from Chalauda, wasn't it? (laughs) And I can smell my parents' house now. Mm -hmm. Especially when you live away from them for a while. Yeah. And so I, I open this and there's like, all of a sudden I'm in my parents' house again. I open my bag and it smells like my parents' house. And they, I don't know what they do, but they do the, the, the laundry really well. Cause it smells for like months if you don't wear it. <laughs> my closet, And all of a sudden it's like months later and catch a whiff of my parents' house. So going back to the, the, the sound thing, I had never associated with that, but at the same time. So as I said, I have a really, like I have four siblings. Mm-hmm. Uh, three of them still live in Brazil. Yeah, and the three, like the all of us, still have parents. Like I don't, because they live in Germany, mm-hmm. but all of them have keys to my parents' house. Mm-hmm. They are all allowed in. Most of them, if they are nearby, they will come for lunch. Like my mom's house, lunch is always for at least seven people. Right. Um, it is really funny that you mentioned this because if I'm at my parents' house and I hear someone opening the the outside gate and walking and the way that they jiggle their keys to put it on the inside i always know who's coming who's coming (laughs) so (laughs) um i have a i have a partially maybe political related question um before we get to the identity it's part, it's hard to avoid it these days. <laughs> I, it's impossible to avoid, isn't it? So, with the current um, sort of events that happened a few weeks ago um, after the presidential elections and so on, have you felt living outside of Brazil that these events, and not just this one particular event, maybe? everything that's you know comes and goes with the political scenes and social events that happen in brazil um now that you've lived for several years outside of the country does it ever make you feel like oh um i can't go back because now my uh, way of thinking and my perspective of things have changed so drastically uh compared to maybe my friends back home or the general population or something like that, that it kind of makes you feel uncomfortable thinking Brazil is still part of home or makes you think twice about going back even? No, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think I would ever be able to cut Brazil off my life. Like, of course, never say never, but I would never not be able to think of it as home because it's so intrinsically part of who I am. So it is more of a pain for home. It is more of a pain to see what is happening. And I remember after what happened, uh, like in the beginning of the month, Mm -hmm. uh, so similarly to what happened in the U.S. a couple years back. So yeah, I have a big community of Brazilians here uh, because we met during Corona and there's a, like a, a Facebook community that we we would meet people. Mm -hmm. Um, like the the general feeling was that there was like this gray cloud walking around like our cartoon yeah. the whole day. And we're just like super moody all the time. Yeah. Anything that is happening, you're just so cranky. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how I felt. But it was specifically because I care so much. Yeah. So I would never, again, never say never. 
but I wouldn't be able to like not proudly say I'm Brazilian. I will forever proudly say I'm Brazilian, but I will acknowledge the problem that we're having. Sure. And because I love it and I'm proudly Brazilian, I get to be worried about that. Of course. Of course. It's all, it's hard not to be. I mean, I, I feel like no matter how many years you've been away, when something happens, it still affects you emotionally, just physically. Even sometimes we had a discussion about um, the stress of things and how it affects you. Um, the things that you're not even remotely physically close to and it still affects you greatly. So for sure. Now kind of going to the identity part, you did say you're proudly Brazilian. Do you feel that, um, and, and of course you've, you've always had a really good uh, community of Brazilians in Hamburg, which, which is awesome. Um, that was one of the culture shocks for me uh, that I realized in Hamburg that there's a lot of Latin Americans live in, in Hamburg. And that was so wonderful for me to see. It was kind of like talk about home. That to me, if I heard somebody speaking Spanish or Portuguese, it's like, oh, I'm closer to home. <laughs> Going back to your um, way of identifying yourself. Do you still say that you're fully, completely Brazilian or do you say I'm Brazilian, American, German? I feel like this is very interesting. Um, Brazil... Brazil had a very different way of identifying themselves than the U.S. Like, this was, for me, a shock. I, in the U.S., I would, like, say that I was Latina because it was so much easier. But I was always Brazilian. Because even within Latin America, Brazil is... I'm, it's not, I'm not going to say excluded because we're not excluded. Uh, but Brazil is an outlier because we speak Portuguese. We, I, I never, like, I knew I was from a Latin country and from a Latin culture. And for instance, most of our friends were from other Latin cultures. We had an Italian friend. We have a couple of Colombian friends. We have a friend from, uh, his family is Mexican. He was born in El Paso, I think. Mm -hmm. Uh, so he also had like the same identical, uh, uh, cultural identity things that we were thinking about. And we would always go out to have dinner together because we would be the only people who would stay in the restaurant table for three hours or four. <laughs> of course. Um, this was important. I have American friends who I know that if I schedule like a, a dinner with is we're arriving at seven and at eight tops, eight 30, I'm free. <laughs> But yeah, so, uh, I would never consider myself anything other than Brazilian. Mm -hmm. And this is funny because, um, My dad, for instance, he has Portuguese citizenship and I can get my Portuguese citizenship. And in a few years, we're probably going to get be able to get our German citizenship, which considering we're going to stay here, we would want to vote and be civically sure. involved. involved. Yeah. But I, you know, I had never thought of it until right the second. I will probably say I'm Brazilian who has a citizenship in a place. I will never be able to call myself German. Mm -hmm. I'll never be able to call myself Portuguese. I'll always be Brazilian. Yeah. I don't think the feeling that is February and it should be warm and I should be outside dancing on the streets, drinking beer is ever going to go away. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I don't think that the feeling that I have to go put my feet in the, the salt water once a year, which, you know, I'm privileged because I grew up near enough the coast that I mm -hmm. could see the ocean every year. Yeah. Uh, was ever going to go away. Like I, 
I love having four seasons in the year, living here, having four seasons. I sure complain about the cold. I complain about the fact that it gets dark, but I kind of like it. I like having seasons. I like having differences. Yeah. But when January, January is my hardest month always. When January yeah. comes along and you don't have glue vine anymore. <laughs> and that sun yeah. sets around four o'clock in the afternoon. Yes, and rises at eight. At eight, yeah. Um, that's that's when my body is like yelling at me, like we should be at the beach. <laughs> Vitamin D me right now, <laughs> and salt water me exactly. Yeah, but can I go back to something that you said earlier in our conversation? And I wanted to ask you, but I forgot. And I think it's this is a good um, sort of conclusive point to our current conversation as well at the beginning when um you said that you always wanted to live abroad was there a particular reason or just was it just because you wanted to have this uh adventure and you wanted to see something different i think it was the adventure and wanting to see something different um i as i said i travel um no i didn't i just skipped all the way to from my childhood when i was 26 um <laughs> So all of my siblings, they, they took like a hiatus year mm -hmm. and they all got to travel a little bit, either work abroad a little bit or just do an exchange program. Right. Um, and there was one of my brothers that traveled with my grandma and did like, uh, my grandma was a wonderful university teacher who was very well connected. And she took him and my cousin for like, a. Uh, summer course in France. Yeah. Um, my sister lived a little bit abroad also. Uh, and I, the day I graduated high school, I got into college. Mm -hmm. I dropped out of the college and then I dropped out on another one after that. Uh, <laughs> happens. But I, I, I got to do a, like a backpacking trip Nice. and I love traveling. I, I, tra I backpacked by myself for 60 days through Europe. It was, I was 21. If I could go back, I would probably do the same things because they were, it was fun yeah. and I don't regret it. But at the same time, there were so many places that I would put nowadays and like forget some others. But anyway, um, so I wanted to have this experience of like living abroad, even if it's just like stories to tell. And then I come back home. Like I never thought that I would just like be abroad forever Yeah. until I moved abroad. And I was just like, yeah, that looks like forever a little bit in the U S it still look Like, I would, maybe we would come back. We didn't know. But then when we came to Germany, it felt a lot more like forever. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. But I, I, I just, I was just curious. I just wanted to feel something different. Yeah. Um, and then it became the usual, I guess. Well, and I have to mention that I always admired your uh, sense of adventure and when all of us were kind of scared of going even outside of our doorstep, you were talking about, Hey, I want to go to, to this place in the Netherlands, for instance, or um, you were talking about going to Italy. And, and I'm so glad that you're experiencing that and you're uh, in the right place because Germany and Europe is so centralized that you can just pretty much hop on the plane and be somewhere in two hours. Yeah, my mom goes around that I get to, I get to travel in Europe this weekend. Enjoy and uh, talk to you soon. You too. Bye. Thank you so much for listening and please don't forget to subscribe. 
Please join me next time for other amazing stories and experiences of immigrants and expats. Until then, I wish you well.